Good afternoon. I'm Brent Holland. Welcome to the show. This afternoon, Erin Moran joins us with her courageous book, Living for Today, a Memoir, From Incest and Molestation to Fearlessness and Forgiveness. Nearly two years of just being confused and not understanding, trying to make sense of what he's doing at the same time, knowing deep down this is wrong, but how do you talk about it? You don't have proof that this is going on. Who's going to believe you? And of course, with perpetrators, they have this way of getting into kids' heads and brainwashing them, and this whole grooming process of just keeping them quiet with threats. You know, you'll destroy our family, I'll hurt your family, things like that. And so it was this fear of nobody's going to believe you. I had a much stronger older cousin, and so when fighting him, digging my nails, trying to get him off me didn't work. Mm. Um, I would just become physically exhausted. So it would get to this point where I would just mentally go away in my head mm-hmm. and pretend his breathing was the sound of waves and pretending I was on some ocean somewhere. It was my way of mentally escaping what was actually going on for the past several hours. And that's what I ended up using as a coping mechanism for years afterwards of mentally escaping to the, the thought of this imaginary beach as my way of, of escaping the horrors of what was really going on. This afternoon, it's Living for Today, a memoir from incest and molestation to fearlessness and forgiveness. Aaron Moran joins us right now on Brent Holland. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking to Erin Marin. She has a courageous book out called Living for Today, a memoir from incest and molestation to fearlessness and forgiveness. And it's my pleasure to welcome Erin to the show. Erin, I was wondering if we could start off, if you can give us a brief synopsis about what happened to you and the book. Okay. Um, actually, I wrote my first book when I was a senior in high school, and it was my childhood diary. I had kept from ages 11 to my senior year of high school of how I was sexually abused by my cousin. And I later found out at 13, he was also sexually abusing my younger sister. And so it was a diary I kept locked away. My parents later found out about it. When my sister came forward and told me our cousin was abusing her. And that's when it kind of went on this journey of continuing to document how this changed my life. And with my first book, Stolen Innocence, I pretty much talk about how it affected my life, the the negative, and how I turned my life around in the end by going forward with my first book, which then sparked my second book, Living for Today. And the first book pretty much talks about how my life changed by being sexually abused by a family member. And the second book goes on to share how this event, by going public, I took the step to put a face and voice on it. But at the same time, it shook up a lot of emotions and controversy in our large extended family. And with the second book, I share how my sister and I's life was changed by being sexually abused by our cousin. And also how it's different in the sense when it's stranger danger compared to a family member. Because this was a family member that was we were around all the time growing up as a kid who found ways at family gatherings, Christmas parties, Thanksgiving, you know, holidays, any type of situation where we were brought together or while I was watching his younger siblings actually, which were my younger cousins, he'd find ways to sexually abuse both me and my younger sister. And so it pretty much was this big hush-hush, you tell anybody, you'll destroy our tight-knit family. This is our little secret. You got no proof. So it kind of went on this crusade of breaking my silence and putting a face and voice on it. And I went on to confront my cousin when I was a senior in high school. And 
He was away at college and wanted to make him own up for his actions. Little did I know he would respond back to one of my very harsh letters I sent him that sent on a seven-month correspondence going back and forth. And it started off with a lot of anger and rage and hatred towards him. To him, admitting to his wrongdoings, owning up, taking ownership, and asking for forgiveness, which in the end is something I gave him, was able to forgive him and pretty much put a face and voice on it. Well, in Living for Today, as I went on to chronicle my life by all of a sudden taking my first book and going public and putting a face and voice on something that is so hush-hush, I um, ended up revealing another chapter of my life that I had kept locked away that had never affected me until I went away to college. And this did not happen to do with a family member. It was a best friend of mine when we were young kids. Um, an overnight um, where her uncle she lived with her dad was not in her life an uncle of hers came into the bedroom one night and sexually abused myself and it was something that continued at other overnight so it chronicled this whole other event in my life that as I explain in the book when you keep secrets locked away at some point in your life they will come up and surface Mm. Um, and it is why I'm putting such a face and voice on it because it is such a hush-hush topic and it has happened to millions of people around this world, but there's this stigma and shame attached to it. Let's talk about that stigma and shame. How did you find the courage in yourself to come out and not only admit it to yourself that you have been sexually abused, but admit it to your, your immediate family and your extended family? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because to me, that would take extreme courage. There was a lot of shame and guilt I carried, um, feeling like in the beginning that I was at fault for this, that I was to blame, especially when you saw family members taking sides. You have a cousin that was arrested and confessed to this, and they're still standing by him saying, you know, my sister and I are liars. It did bring a lot of shame of, oh my God, did I destroy this family? And eventually it took years of not only therapy, but also my own understanding of opening eyes and realizing I have nothing to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was actually not being quiet about it anymore, something I could barely utter to my parents about and to finally talk about it. And I starting to recognize that I didn't do this. I didn't raise my hand and say, hey, pick me. I want to be abused. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was something that I did not choose to happen. And I realized I had the choice of what the outcome could be. And I could remain silent the rest of my life and continue to live with all the shame and guilt. Or I can decide to put a face and voice on it and realize I have nothing to be ashamed of. And it was when I started talking about it, that's when I was all these other doors in my life started open to realize, wow, I'm not alone. This has happened to millions of people. But our society doesn't talk about it. We keep it under the rugs. We look the other way. We focus on other things in the society, not sexual abuse. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with a courageous young woman. Erin Mirren is our guest today. She's got an amazing book out. Extremely courageous woman. Living for Today, a memoir from incest and molestation to fearlessness and forgiveness. You can pick her book up at Chapters Indigo right across the country. Just to let you know, Erin, Chapters Indigo is Canada's version of uh, Barnes & Noble, if you will. Oh, okay. And your book is readily available there. Just go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website, folks. As always, click on the book cover. And that'll take you right to chapters and to go online. You can order it from the comfort of your own home. It is a must read for all those that are facing perhaps some of the same things in their life. There must have been a period, as you were just discussing, that you were blaming yourself. You were 13 years old when the abuse began. You know, I talk about courage. I'm going to be talking about courage a lot because I think you're an incredibly courageous woman to come forward with this. Most people, I think, as you said, will perhaps want to hide the fact that this has happened. And by you coming forward, I think you're going to be an inspiration and perhaps a role model to those that are out there listening right now, that it's okay to come out and tell your story. You are the survivor. You are not the perpetrator in this. When you were 13 years old, did you go over the events in your head over and over and over and perhaps blame yourself? Yes, actually, it began with my cousin at 11 and it ended at 13, but I did. I went over those events of questioning, am I doing something wrong? You mm-hmm. know, and of course, the problem, the problem in our world is we don't educate kids about this. So I wasn't, you know, I'm not being told in school about all these, you know, what a safe touch is, what an unsafe touch mm-hmm. is, don't keep secrets. I'm being warned about stranger danger. Don't go look for the lost mm-hmm. puppy. Don't yeah. take candy from the stranger. So yes, the world, was, it was confusion. I would say that was the biggest thing more than anything was for nearly two years of just being confused and not understanding 
trying to make sense of what he's doing at the same time, knowing deep down this is wrong, but how do you talk about it? You don't have proof that this is going on. Who's going to believe you? And of course, with perpetrators, they have this way of getting into kids' heads, of brainwashing them, and this whole grooming process of just keeping them quiet with threats. You know, you'll destroy our family, I'll hurt your family, things like that. And so it was this fear of nobody's going to believe you and this will destroy our family. When the abuse was taking place, I'd like to quote from the book. You write, when that did not work, I had to mentally escape from my own body in order to survive. Can you describe to the people that are listening right now where you went to escape that horrible, horrible experience? I had a much stronger older cousin and so when fighting him digging my nails trying to get him off me didn't work mm. um, I would just become physically exhausted so it would get to this point where I would just mentally go away in my head mm-hmm. and pretend his breathing was the sound of waves and pretending I was on some ocean somewhere it was my way of mentally escaping what was actually going on for the past several hours and that's what I ended up using as a coping mechanism for years afterwards of mentally escaping to just the thought of this imaginary beach as my way of of escaping the horrors of what was really going on. When you found out your sister was also being abused, what happened at that point? Was there feelings of anger, of rage that came forward, perhaps more so than with your own self? Yes. That's when I really felt the anger and rage Mm -hmm. because it was like here I was for the past year and a half I've been silent. You know, you had me silent. You had the nerve to sit there and go sexually abuse my little sister on top of it. I wasn't enough. You had to go after her. That's, I mean, I was just, oh, I was very, very angry. And I blame myself. Only if I, you know, for a long time, only if I had spoken up the first time this had happened, he would have never gotten his hands on her, was my thought process for a long time. And it took me a long time to finally come to that place of realizing I can't take the blame of someone else's actions, the decision of somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't always be there to, just as parents can't always be there to protect their kids. So yes, there was a lot of anger and rage that came over me towards him that, you know, fueled a lot of my ability to later on in life speak about that. Did you ever contemplate perhaps going after Brian and perhaps killing him? Or I don't mean to be crass about that or anything, but I mean, the abuse that you went through and now your sister's going through, was there ever any thoughts of perhaps the two of you taking revenge on him in a physical manner? You know, the truth is, I never mm-hmm. I never had thoughts of, you know, wanting him dead, wanting him, not wanting to go after him, because honestly, for the longest time, I was actually afraid of him. I was mm-hmm. actually afraid. And as an adult, I know I look back on him thinking, mm-hmm. I'm using family counselor now. I work with teenagers all the time, and I look at these teenagers and think, I don't have any fear, but, you know, as a kid, and you're dealing with an older cousin, back then, there was all this fear of, and they live so close to us. Is he going to come get me for telling about this happening? So it was this constant fear. It wasn't until I started to get older that when it started to really, I didn't want to talk about it in the beginning, but as the years went on and I got into high school, it really began to haunt me. The nightmares, the flashbacks, it was like constantly I was stuck in this bubble, this nightmare that was constantly, I was reliving daily as time was moving forward, but I felt like I was stuck back in the past. And so that's when I started to feel the anger and the rage of just, how dare you? You know, you slip through the cracks of the justice system and are living this fine and dandy life. And here I am and suffering because of your actions. So mm-hmm. there was times where I had wished that something bad would happen to him. Not necessarily me doing something to him, but something, something bad would happen to him. And- You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website, www.brenthollandshow.com. You find out in the book that all that anger and hatred I later would come to realize was just keeping me stuck in this unhealthy place in my life and continuing to allow my cousin, and as I say, with anyone that's been abused, you're continuing to allow the perpetrator to still have a grip of your life, a piece of your life. To still control. Until I find, yeah, still have that control of your life years after it ha- ended. You know, learning to let go of that and being able to realize by staying in that place of anger and hatred, it's a healthy place to go through, you know, get out that anger. But to stay stuck in it is, is my way of telling people, you're continuing to allow the perpetrator to have control over your life. And it's learning to rise above that and get to that place of learning to find peace in your life again. Folks, we're speaking with Erin Marin. We're talking about incest and molestation today. Her book is Living for Today, a memoir. 
can be gotten at Chapters Indigo across the country. As always, www.brenthollandshow.com website. Click on the book cover. Take you right to Chapters Indigo. You can order it online. A must read. Absolutely a must read. And a courageous young woman, I might add. You had mentioned flashbacks and nightmares. I was wondering if we could talk about those. Did those start to occur after Brian came forward to apologize, or were those already occurring long before that? They were already occurring long before that. Um, and as I documented in my diary, I'd write about those things because I couldn't talk to anyone about it. Mm-hmm. I just just struggled to. I had so much shame and guilt. This is just these dirty things that happened. I had just didn't want to talk about it. So I would put it all in my diary and, and I documented that. My entire first book, Stone Innocence, just chronicles all these flashback and nightmares I had of just this constant reliving this. And those eventually, I, I got a grip on those and started to see them go away was when I confronted my cousin came forward with him and confronted him with his actions, directly hear from him taking responsibility and letting him know, I'm not afraid of you anymore. I have control of my life. You were empowering yourself finally. Exactly. That's important for people to know that that can take place that are perhaps going through it right now. I would like to also quote this from the book. She reminded our father that his family was treating us like we were the perpetrator rather than the victims. And this is a quote when you were confronting your extended family. Could you talk about that a little bit? And I mean, it must have been horrible for you. Uh, Thank goodness you had parents that supported you. I imagine perhaps there are some out there that are listening right now where the parents are the perpetrators. But it must have been horrible for you that uh, you received all this negative feedback from your extended family who you grew up with and loved. I mean, they were only several houses away, several blocks away. Exactly. And a lot of that kept in denial, didn't talk about, didn't talk about. We always knew they sided with him, but there wasn't actually any communication. I mean, we were going to parties and all this stuff, and everyone knew it happened, mm-hmm. but it was like, hush, hush. It wasn't until I actually went forward with the book and appeared on national television was when things got really ugly with my family, and I was threatened with lawsuits, told if I ever appear on national television again, I would be sued. And here I was going on national TV and talking about forgiveness and empowering other people to step forward and find their voice and not live in silence the rest of their life. And they were threatening me with lawsuits because I was I was sharing the truth and how I found peace in my life and, and overcame this and learned to let go of anger and hatred towards my cousin and forgive him. And it was hard to sit there... Um, About a month after my appearance on Good Morning America, my relatives ended up, uh, we sat down, my sister and I sat down with my grandma, and she was just outraged by us appearing on on national TV, and she said, you hurt a lot of people by what you did. And I'll never forget her sitting there saying that. And I looked at her, and I'm just thinking to myself, we hurt a lot of people by what we did going on national TV, talking about forgiveness and how we found our voice and moved on with our life. But our cousin didn't hurt his two cousins by what he did. And there was just so much protection for him and and denial. And I guess when people are in a state of denial, you can't get them out of it. But in a sense, we lost a huge chunk of our family that has made numerous excuses over the years that he was just a teenage boy or he was forced into a confession by police and that my sister and I are liars. And we've heard story after story after story, family members trying to go to the police department to protect him and, and, get the, and get the charges dropped after he confessed, one thing after another, and just the horrible things that were eventually said about us. And it eventually came down to our grandparents. My dad comes from a large extended family, and our grandparents looking at my sister and I and my grandma saying, we're all getting older now and moving on, and it's time all the families start doing their own thing. But we really knew what she was meaning. She was really kicking us out of the family. And for the past four years, the family has all continued, including the cousin that abused us, gathered during the holidays. And we've been the ones disowned and kicked out of the family because I decided to put a face and voice on something they can't accept. I'm so sorry that has happened to you. It must hurt unimaginably. I'm certain that most people can understand that hurt, that rejection. How do you deal with that? on a day-to-day basis? You know, I mean, in a sense, it's hard because I had to go through, as I talk about in the book, I've never had any major tragedy as far as, you know, lose people, parents, siblings, what have you, to all sorts of different tragedies. And, And I've been blessed that I haven't in my life yet had to face any major tragedy as far as death. As I explain in the book, I experienced a different kind of tragedy. I lost 45 plus family members, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, lost them all that I spent the first 20 years of my life with to an epidemic that 
they do not want to accept. And he shocks me because I think it would be a different story if I could understand their standpoint if he never confessed to it and there was always this what if. But the fact that he confessed to police and there's documented letters that I published in my first and second book of my cousin, you know, writing to me, taking ownership, I feel like of my large extended family, he's the only one not in denial because he knows the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's sad and it's, you know, living in, in a town that I run into all these people on numerous occasions and we pass each other now like complete strangers. People that I was, you know, once celebrating Christmas with, I now pass on the street or in the grocery store or on the beach like a complete stranger. You're a courageous woman, Erin. Very courageous woman to come forward to share your story in hopes of helping people. For certain you are doing that. Indeed, by doing this show, the demographic of this show is primarily university-age students. And I'm sure somebody listening right now is going to benefit from your story. And that's the reason I speak out, because if I feel by going public with this story um, that so many don't want to talk about, yet it's happening to so many people in our world, if one person can find their voice by my story being public, then I've accomplished what I wanted to do. And I've heard from thousands of people that have found their voice over the years, the oldest being an 83-year-old woman that broke her silence after hearing my story. It continues to make me realize that even in tragedy, triumph can be discovered. We're speaking with Erin Marin today, folks, and Erin Marin is an incest survivor. She was abused by her older cousin. His name is Brian. Brian was indeed arrested, and he was given probation. How did you feel when he was just given such a light sentence? I thought it should have been longer. We had the option of going to trial with it and putting him away for longer, but that would come with my sister and I having to get on a witness stand and testify against him. Mm -hmm. And my parents, with with everything that had just come out, felt that would be secondary abuse test, re-traumatize us all over again. And we were prepped. Our defense attorney would sit there and rip us apart on the witness stand. Well, why didn't you tell after the first time this happened? Why did you allow it to go on for a year and a half? Mm. And things like that. Mm-hmm. We thought he would just cause more trauma. And our number one goal wasn't to get him locked away. Because often, you know, when people are locked away for this, they're locked away for a couple of years and they're released back out into society. Our goal was to make sure he got mandated help. We wanted to make sure that he got the help he needed so he wouldn't go out there and do this again to somebody else, maybe his own children. Mm. And unfortunately... He couldn't even see that fulfilled when he, we later found out that he only received a few sessions of counseling. That's all he got. Yes, a few sessions of counseling and six months probation. It was a huge disappointment. And all I can do mm-hmm. is pray he uses his past mistakes as a reminder to never repeat it again. It's a scary world out there because you often hear about these monsters being repeat offenders. It's a sickness. And it's mm-hmm. just, you just fear when they don't get the help that they need that they're going to repeat. And so I just pray I never see his name on the front page of the paper someday that he has turned his life around. Can we talk about whether you fear that he might be out there repeating right now? I do have that fear, and I hope by him confronting me and mm-hmm. me forgiving him and saying, I only want you to accept this forgiveness if you're truly sorry and you never repeat this again. Almost as hoping that that'll deter him, and especially with these books out there. Knowing that even though I protected his identity, I did not go public as revenge against him. They'd be like, okay, you didn't get punished for doing this, so I'm going to publish your books about you, about what you did. Because I protected his identity up and down. It's not his real name. Mm-hmm. You know, I changed all my family members' names, relatives' mm-hmm. names throughout the book. Because the goal of my mission was to put a face and voice on it and not to, it was never revenge. But my hope is with these books out there and him seeing what I'm doing, it'll detour him from ever acting on this again. Go seek out help. It's a huge fear with him now married. He doesn't have children, but the fear of him having children and doing this again. Mm, It's always going to be present. Did he ever try to justify what he did? Did he ever say what his goal was for doing what he did? I always wondered if he was abused. There were stories that Mm. he may have, and maybe he acted out on something that was done to him. There was a teacher in junior high that was arrested for molesting male students on the track team. My cousin in junior high was the Star Trek player. So Mm -hmm. there was just these wondering things that popped up and just wondering. But I just hope and pray that he doesn't. But there's things that have come out after he was arrested that he went on to, several years later, assault another girl at an underage drinking party when he was a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. There were things that have... And I confronted him on that in my first book in one of my letters. He completely went around it, didn't deny it in the letter, just completely avoided the question when I confronted him about it. There is that fear of he has this 
sexual um, perversion, addiction. Yes, mm-hmm. perversion of just going of going after even having a girlfriend. He mm-hmm. consistently has to be thriving on this. It's something I don't think a lot of us can understand. It's something I think in his head that he just um, is obsessed with, and it's a scary thought to know that. I hope to God that he doesn't ever repeat it again. You're listening to the Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Just to try and understand his mindset for the folks that are listening, do you think it's a control issue? It, it seems to me it has nothing to do with sex. It, it seems to me it must be he feels... Power and control. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and I saw that a lot in his behavior. When you look at the picture here, here he had a cousin that was being silent for a year and a half, and he went on to go after her little sister at the same time. It's this power and control thing of, of going after people and, and, and wanting to be in control. And I asked him in one of my letters, why mm-hmm. did you do this? Were you abused? He never denied saying he wasn't abused. He never, his only way of explaining it, he explained it as stupidity, an urge of sexuality, and curiosity. And as I explained in the book, those may be the three words that I will ever be able to understand of why he did this. An mm-hmm. urge of sexuality, curiosity, and but at the same time, I think there was this power and control piece that he thrived on, that he went after. I'm assuming he liked being in that power and control and, mm-hmm. and having that. Folks, we're speaking with an incredibly courageous woman today who has come forward with her story of incest and molestation. Our guest today is Erin Marin. The book, Living for Today, a memoir, a must-read, From Incest and Molestation to Fearlessness and Forgiveness, available at Chapters Indigo right across the country, folks, readily available. Just go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website, click on the book cover, take you right to Chapters Indigo. You can order it online. should be there within uh, 48, 72 hours. I want to ask you now, I'd like to go into sex right now and discuss it very openly. Mm-hmm. What has it done to you? Sexual feelings that come up in you and perhaps flashbacks that may occur. For me, and as I describe in the book, my, my biggest issue now, I let go of anger and hatred. I don't have the nightmares and flashbacks. I've moved on with my life, can speak openly about this, where it was once something I couldn't talk about at all. Mm-hmm. But the one piece in my life that I still am trying to master is the ability to trust men. Mm. Um, this fear of, okay, if a relative can do this. You know, people you, you trust that you know can do this. Then, then is anyone capable? Of How can you trust, fall in love with someone you trust them? If I learned in life that trust is something that is one of the last things I can, someone can earn from me because I am just so afraid to give that up. It takes a long time for me. And I'm very open when I'm in relationships with men about my past, what I've gone through, and the ones that are uncomfortable with it, you know, the, the conversation, those are the ones I'm kind of like, okay, you know, I, I can't deal with people that can't accept what's going on in my life, that can't talk about it and things like that, like I said, because it's such an uncomfortable topic. But for such a long time, I carried, because of the only sexual feelings I've ever had in my life, was due to sexual abuse. Anytime I was in a relationship and even making out with a guy, it would just consume me with this guilt. This is bad. All these red flags would go off inside me. This is, these are wrong feelings. And so it took me years to get to this place of realizing this is not, this is not a bad thing. You're in a safe place. Things like that. But it's just come to this place with me of, of, Trust is something that takes a long time for a man in my life to earn from me. I understand that completely. Just to let you know, when I was in university, I had dated an incest survivor for about three or four years, and she was incested by her father. She only started having flashbacks when she went out with me. The therapist ended up telling her that she finally was in a safe enough relationship to allow herself to experience that and go through it. It is horrible. Uh, it was horrible for her. I, I can't begin to describe the the pain that she had suffered due to this irrepressible act. It was just horrendous. Many people in those days would say incest victim. And I would always stop and say, no, survivor. They've survived this horrible, horrible trauma. By, and you talk about trust. And this is it. This trust is broken. Mm-hmm. How do you ever trust a member of the opposite sex again. As you said, even in communicating your own needs with this other person, sometimes they just turn off. They just don't want to deal with it. Have you been able to 
attend a survivor's group and talk about um, common feelings? Yes, I did. Well, I did growing up. Um, I had a group um, when I was younger, when this all came out. Um, my sister and I were able to talk about other people. Um, you know, my sister and I were both in groups and we were able to talk with other girls, how this has affected our lives, how this affects your trust, mm-hmm. how to learn to cope with the flashbacks, nightmares, and, and, and you know, move, you know move, move forward in your life. And, um, and my sister and I were, were lucky enough to have a place um, it was called the Children's Advocacy Center, and there's over 700 of them in the U.S., and there's one in Canada. Um, and I wish there were more around the world mm. um, that provide that safe place for a child to go um, and share their story when they've been abused. And they teach you. You know, they lay the foundation of, of helping kids, you know, take those steps forward and begin to heal their life. And um, And I think one of the most difficult things, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, they can never forgive their abuser. And I think for me, um, that was, you know, that was the thing for me that allowed me to break free and, and move forward with my life and, and, and not be stuck in that, in that bad place. But trust is, is something that I think I'm going to continue to have to work on. And, and to, to be honest with you, I see myself one day writing a third book when I am in a healthy, happy relationship where I'm married with someone and able to come to that place where I can say, wow, you know, I can trust, I can love, and I can be in a relationship where, um, you know, I know it's a safe place. Mm-hmm. I want to reassure you that you will be. There are men out there that you will be able to trust without hesitation. Let's continue with the empowerment. How is your sister doing? Is she attending incest survivor classes as well, groups? She did when she was younger. And she, unlike I, had a very difficult time talking about any of this. Just wanted to go away and disappear. And so I always wondered why it affected me so much as I was growing up and not her. And it wasn't until I had processed a lot of, a lot of my pain but all of a sudden, I went away to college. She came to the same university as me, and suddenly she just opened up. And that's when I realized when you've been abused, it hits you at different stages of your life. And when she was, you know, in junior high and high mm-hmm. school, she, she wasn't ready to, you know, she wasn't ready to talk about this. It, you know, there comes a time and place. And I was there and ready for her and, and able to support her and, and understand because it's so difficult sometimes when you go to your friends and they don't understand what you're talking about. Some of them think you need to move on because they don't, they don't know what it's like to be in that place. And with my, you know, my sister and I, we have each other. And we also had the groups that we had growing up. We were with other girls that had experienced this, that know what we had been through. So they did understand. And I think that's so important for people to find is there's agencies all over the places. There's in churches, um, you know, groups, um, I mean, all over the place that have places for people that have been abused to connect with other people because so mm-hmm. often this happens to people and they don't know where to turn. And then like with my sister, she's, I mean, come a long way. I never would have expected from my first book to my second book, she'd be writing the prologue. And, and, mm-hmm. and it just empowers me to see her be empowered by, you know, using her voice and sharing how this has affected her. Because that's one question as I fly across the world and speak in front of thousands of people on this. One question I'm always asked, how is your sister doing? How has this affected her? Mm-hmm. She's got this sister that's, you know, outspoken about this. And as I say, and as she says in the book, public speaking is not for everyone. And that's not my mission is to get everyone to, you know, speak out about this. My mission is just to get people that have, that have been, you know, hurt by this to find that safe person and break their silence so they can begin to heal. So they're not living in this, their own, you know, silent health with this. And also to get the world to recognize that this is happening. There's so much focus on, you know, cancer and autism and diabetes and war and everything else going on in our world. But this is one taboo, stigmatized subject that we all look the other way to. It's like no one wants to go there. We want to avoid this. Do you think, do you think that's primarily because the perpetrator is always a relative? I think, I think that, that plays a big part because... A, like they say, 80 to 90% of the time, it's someone you love and trust. Whether that's a family member, a family friend, you know, and, and I think that is a big piece of it because it is that taboo, oh my God, family members abusing, you know, family members. That's just sick. People don't want to go there, don't want to wrap their minds around it. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. 
For more information on today's guests as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Hello, it's going to continue to happen until people start talking about it. And I'm not saying that, that this is going to end and change overnight, getting people to talk about it, because by, by, you know, talking about it, it's not going to stop this evil. This evil is always going to exist in our world. But what I'm saying is we need to start educating kids and talking to them about this. So they're not staying silent for years. So they know the, the, the gut feeling when something's not right and, and how to seek out another family member or, or a teacher, somebody they can go to when they are being, when someone does try to make advanced moves on them or they have been victimized. But so often people are like, why did the kid stay silent for the past year or two years? Why did the kid let it happen three or four times? Because they don't know how to talk about this. When this happens to a kid, and, and I, I try to explain to people the mind frame of a kid when this happens, what it does to their body, they like shut down. They go into shock. They go into confusion. They know how to make sense of, of all of this. And at the same time for kids, um, when something like this happens, sometimes for kids, you know, God created our bodies for sexual beings to, you know, make this feel good. So when this happens to a kid, these can be mixed feelings. So when people sit there and educate kids to bad touch, well, you know, the, you know, kids might get this misunderstanding of, well, I know it's bad, but it didn't feel bad. So there's just this misconcept in our world of, of how we can educate kids on this and make them understand, you know, what is healthy, what is not healthy, how to um, protect them. Because I feel that, you know, we, we, we can send them out with the, with the tools. Mom and dad can't always be there to protect them, but at least give them to the, the tools to protect themselves. That's perfect. That's beautiful. Now, I know you do make public appearances. When you do that, I suspect you have a whole lineup of people coming to tell you that they indeed have been sexually abused as well. Is there a favorite website I, you send them to? One website that I just direct a lot of people towards is the Rain. Rape Abuse Incest National Network because they have confidential phone calls you can make where you can talk to someone over the phone because a lot of people don't want to talk to someone face-to-face because they don't know how to discuss this. Mm -hmm. They can talk to someone online on their website. They're available 24-7 around the world. So it gives people the, the tools to begin that first step. And as I tell people, it happens everywhere I go. Whether I'm speaking in a classroom of, you know, 24 kids in a school or speaking at a conference in front of a thousand people, I always have somebody come up to me and, and tell me this has happened to them or this is their first time breaking their silence after hearing my story. I've had, I've had a man, 45 year old man say he spent the past 40 years of his life never telling a soul of what happened to him in his life because he didn't have the courage until he heard me speak. Um, I, like I said, I had an 83-year-old woman tell me her story. Best friend of mine since I was a young kid. She's known about my books, everything, and we're sitting there having lunch with her grandma. And she's telling her grandma about what I've done, and all of a sudden her grandma starts sharing these horrors of things that happened to her as a kid. And it was just unbelievable. We just sat there in shock. But because it's a conversation you don't have at the dinner table. It's a conversation people don't talk about. But because I you know, put it out there, there would be no other reason my, my friend would never know about this. Had I not been the person I turned out to be speaking out about this and having this conversation with their grandma. And there's the stigma against men, you know, especially, you know, young boys and teenagers that think this doesn't happen to boys. This only happens to girls, which is so untrue. And men have this, this idea that, you know, this will take away their manhood if this happens to them. Mm -hmm. I spoke in a classroom once where there was a young man, had no idea, a 14 year old boy in the classroom. And I sat there and I got across to the students and I said, and, you know, men in this room, I don't want you to think this doesn't happen to men because it does. And it doesn't take away your manhood. And this is not something that you should stay quiet about. You need just as much help as, as females do. And I spoke in this classroom throughout an entire day. It was a house class. And the next day I came to speak the entire day again. The teacher approached me and said a mother had contacted him and, um, had said a parent wants to speak with me. Well, we thought the parent was calling to complain. Why are you educating my kid on sexual abuse? Because, like I said, it's a taboo topic. Mm. But instead, this mother was asking for me to call her, which I did. She went on to tell me that she's known for the past year and a half that her son had been sexually abused. He's been, he was taken to a child's advocacy center. 
He, she sent him to numerous therapists, counselors. He has nightmares, flashbacks, everything, and cannot talk about this because he's so ashamed. She goes, and I've tried everything. She goes, she said I was pulling my hair out because I couldn't get my son. I couldn't reach him. I knew this horror that, that his stepdad did to him, but he could not bring himself to talk about it because he was too ashamed. She said he came home the day after, you know, the day of my speech, walked up to his mom and said, Mom, we had this guest speaker come speak to us. And she says this does happen to boys too, not just girls. And just totally sat there for hours telling his mother everything his stepdad did, started talking about it. So she called just to thank me over and over again for reaching her son and being able to get through to him, unlike other people, um, to make them understand that he's not alone. And this does happen to men, too. That's wonderful that you're having such an impact and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel also by just coming forward and speaking about it and having the courage to do that, that there's no shame in doing that. That's so important. I will put that rain. I'll put a link on the website, on the Brent yes, Holland website. Absolutely. Without question. Definitely. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with a courageous young woman. Her name is Erin Marin. The book Living for Today, a memoir from incest and molestation to fearlessness and forgiveness available chapters in to go right across the country and just click on the book cover www.brenthollandshow.com website take you right to chapters indigo where you can order it i want to talk about your face Mm -hmm. how has that affected your face has it strengthened it has it made it worse do you have a personal relationship with god at this point or do you even believe god exists as i describe in my in my second book Mm -hmm. um, in Living for Today, I sit there and I say, um, both my first and my second book, it wouldn't even exist. Um, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now had it not been for my faith. Um, it has played a huge role in my life um, by being able to speak out about this and reach this place in my life for forgiveness. Um, for many years, um, I've always had a good, strong Christian faith and believed in God, but for many years I questioned, you know, God, where are you? Crying out at night, where are you? Why aren't you saving me from what when this is going on? Um, and then even after the aftermath of, of um, you know, okay, this is stopped, please just, just let me live my life now for today, you know, and not being haunted by this. And, you know, a few years back I began doubting, doubting, are you, are you really there? Um, I, I don't feel you. I, I feel that you've abandoned me. You know, all these questions of, you know, just wondering. And, and little did I realize that he was just preparing me for much bigger things that I would go on to tackle and overcome in this world and realize that he was has been there all along, walking right alongside me through every step of the way of finding my voice and he is, is the one that allowed me to come to that place, um, my relationship with God, of being able to forgive um, the men that abused me in my life. No longer harbor that anger and hatred um, and come to that place of realizing, um, as I believe, you know, Jesus died on, on the cross for our sins and the sins my cousin committed um, against me. And so I, I feel that you know, by looking at that, it has allowed me to, in my own life, um, realize, you know, I can't ask God to sit here and forgive me for my sins if I can't even forgive, you know, my own cousin for what he did to me. Mm-hmm. And like I, like I share in my book, for getting to that place of forgiveness is such a difficult place to get to because you feel like they don't deserve to be forgiven. They've done this horrible, awful act against somebody and and how can you forgive them but as I describe to people forgiveness is something you give yourself it's a gift you give yourself and it's the greatest gift I've given myself by being able to rise above and and like I said it's like like I describe in in living for today it's like fireworks going off inside of you it was the answer to my prayers Mm -hmm. forgiveness was the answer to allowing me to live for today no longer being haunted after I forgave my cousin Um, haunted by my past and haunted with these, you know, constant memories. I was no longer carrying around this anger and hatred. And I can say it's much, it's much greater to sit there and wake up every day praying for my cousin that he never harms another soul again, praying that he can live um, 
you know, a somewhat, you know, normal life, even though he has this shadow following him of what did in his past, than waking up every morning and wishing he was burning in hell and, and hating him. Because that's just not a, a way of life you want to live, of just being angry and full of hatred the rest of your life. But it's, it's a place, as I describe, you have to get to. You go through this whole, as I describe, like a globe, circle of emotions you travel through. And I, and I feel forgiveness is, a, is the final stage you get to in healing um, your life. And, and you're always going to go back to, to points in your life where you're going to feel anger. You're going to feel, you know, when, when things will rise from your past, because your past is never going to go away. But as I said, forgiveness is, is the place that allowed me um, to learn to move forward with my life. And it wouldn't have been possible without my faith and relationship with God. Um, he has just opened my eyes to such amazing, unbelievable things. And as I share with people, mm-hmm. even outside of, of sexual abuse, in any tragedy in life, I feel God is there with you at, at every moment and every step of the way. And something positive can be transpired in any um, tragedy we face in life. And like I say, none of none of this could have been possible had it not been for my faith. And I I look forward to that day when, you know, I reach the golden gates and I can say, you know, did I accomplish, did I go the right path and, and you know, do what you want to do. And I feel that I'm I'm following God's path instead of allowing the evil of, of Satan overcoming me and, and trying to make me stay in that dark that dark hole. Instead I'm putting a bright light and um, voice on a silent epidemic of, of an evil thing and I feel God is right there alongside me guiding me and like I say I'm not going to doubt or question any other thing that happens in my life um, any other tragedies I face because um, I believe there's a reasoning behind everything and God's standing right there. It's a journey that you can take but you don't have to take it alone you can reach out there's help out there for you and I've put the link to the RAIN website on the BrentHollandShow.com website and just click on there and that'll take you to the RAIN website where you can uh, tell your story with complete anonymity. Now you did mention silent epidemic and that was one of the questions I had for you. Are we facing an epidemic like never before? Oh, you would, I mean, I, you would not believe how many people they've been affected by this. Here people think they're in their own little world, nobody understands, but like I tell every time I give a speech in a classroom and at a conference, you know, at a fundraising event, I say, if you don't know somebody right now in their life that has been abused, I said, you will at some point. There are people in your life right now, in everyone's life that this has happened to, that are still living in silence or have not come forth because they don't know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, it is, and it has affected so many people. But as I said, it's a silent epidemic our society does not want to talk about it. They'll, they'll flash all over, over the TV screens when a child goes missing and, and, and it's a stranger abduction and, and there's an Amber mm-hmm. Alert or whatever and we're searching for right. that kid. Um, but, but when it comes to sexual abuse, there's so much stigma and taboo attached to it. And, and people do not want to recognize it. We want to look the other way. And so many people are in this bubble of, you know, I live in this good community. This won't happen to my kids. I live in a safe neighborhood. This happens to the rich, the poor, any race, any ethnicity, any religion. This happens to so many people of all different backgrounds and in regions. And I just wish people, and like I said, I'm determined to, you know, fight this silent epidemic and, and put it on the tables and get people talking about it. The media, even the media avoids talking about this. Because of the stigma and taboo, mm-hmm. I was told by, by, a, by a morning show here in America, a woman read about me in a magazine, one of one of the hosts, and she wanted to do an interview with me. She went to her producer, and you know what her producer said? Mm-hmm. This, topic, this topic is too harsh for morning television. And it just, I just sit there and I just shake my head, and I'm just like, too harsh for morning television. Well, you know what? It's going on going on in our own world, you'll, you'll sit there and talk about autism, cancer, all, the, all these other, you know, the war going on in Iraq, mm-hmm. but, but you won't talk about an epidemic that is going on all across this world. And as I say, there is invisible, invisible caution tape wrapped around this globe um, that I'm trying to bring light to and wake people up. 
I'm not saying it's gonna it's gonna end this evil, but it's gonna protect a lot more kids once we start recognizing that this is happening. And start educating kids on how to protect themselves. And I've got I've got I've got bookstores that tell me with my book that just came out in November, they won't do book signings with me in November and December because it's, you know, Thanksgiving here in America mm-hmm. and Christmas, December, and that's just too harsh of a topic for, for the holidays. We'll do it we'll do it after the new year. And I'm like, um, hello people, sexual abuse doesn't go on break over the holidays. As a matter of fact, that's when it rises. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's just this bubble our, our society, our world lives in. Don't understand it either. I just don't get yeah. it either. It's sick. It really is sick. Unfor- it's unfortunate. And like I said, I will, I will work with every bone in my body till the day I die, um, trying to put a face and voice on this um, to bring awareness. Folks, if you're just joining us, Aaron Mirren is our guest today, Living for Today, a memoir from incest and molestation to fearlessness and forgiveness is the book. Get it any chapters and you go right across the country. Click on the book cover at the www.brenthollandshow.com website. Take it right to chapters and you go. You can order it online. Erin, do you have your own website where people can write to you? Yes. My website is actually um, Erin Marin. So it's E-R-I-N. M-E-R-R-Y-N dot net. Okay. I've been mispronouncing your name all, all night long, yes, haven't you I? You know what? <laughs> you have. You know what? Everybody does that. And anywhere I go, people mispronounce it and call me Erin Marin. And it was actually my middle name at birth was Erin Marin, but everyone mispronounced and called me Erin Marin. So you see on my birth certificate, Erin Marin is crossed out and Elizabeth is put above it. And that's why I used it as my pen name. I the see. middle The middle name that was taken away. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. I didn't realize. Oh, no, no, it's all right. It's okay. all right. I We're... get it everywhere I go. <laughs> We're going to have to start to wrap up now. As I mentioned before, this show is syndicated right across Canada from coast to coast to coast. And we have three coasts. Go figure. (laughs) Right through the university slash community radio network. And the primary demographic of the show, of course, is university age students. I was wondering, you're speaking to them right now. Imagine you yourself in front of thousands and thousands of students. What would you say to them? I would tell them that I know there's people that have experienced this standing before me and that I hope after hearing me today that they themselves will find their own voice, find themselves help and break silence, whether that's to someone they trust, finding counseling through somebody at their university or a local agency, and that other people will hear this and feel, oh my God, this doesn't affect my life. Well, like I say, at some point in your life, somebody will come and, and will share this. And I hope people will band together and start to recognize this and put a face and voice on it. College age is a huge time when women are sexually assaulted on college campuses, Mm -hmm. when there's date rape drugs, when things like that Mm -hmm. happen. So just going outside the whole incest aspect, so many women think, you know, oh, this won't happen to me while I'm at college. And yet so many times it does happen to women. And I just hope women that this does happen to, that they will go get, seek a medical attention immediately and not stay silent to it, not be ashamed of what has happened and seek out help. Because, like I say, you know, when something like this happens, it's not going to disappear. People need to recognize that this is going on. Speak out and talk about it. You're also involved with Take Back the Night. Yes, I do a lot of speaking at Take Back the Night events all over the place, all over America. And hopefully someday I can get out to Canada. That would <laughs> not be too wonderful. far away from there. I know you're in Chicago. <laughs> What's next for you? My next mission, I've got a lot of speaking events coming up throughout the U.S. I'm trying to get a tour started of, of public speaking all over the place because, as I said, my mission is to put a face and voice on this. And if my voice can help reach other voices and reach parents that are trying to understand, you know, how to reach their kids that have been hurt, to reach survivors that want to learn to heal their life, I just want to be able to reach as many people as possible to understand they're not alone. This is going on in our world. And I also have plans of, um, you know, here I've written two books now. And I've been able to reach, you know, people as young as 10 all the way up to, like I said, 80-something years old, I've heard from. But the one area I feel that I'm missing is our most vulnerable, the kids. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com 
I want to see laws changed here in America and around the world that we force education, that we educate kids on. They emphasize so much on math and science and history and everything in schools, but I feel we fail to protect kids, and I feel we can't hold parents accountable to have this conversation. But I feel in schools, we can put a law in place that makes some kind of curriculum that teaches kids about this. Mm-hmm. And it's my whole next on my agenda is, is write a children's book that educates kids on it in a child-friendly manner that will get my point across of not keeping secrets and what a safe touch and an unsafe touch is. That's a sensational idea. That would be groundbreaking. That, yes, and that's my hope that I could, um, this is a hard topic to sell. I'm not sitting here trying to sell a cookbook. I'm sitting here trying to sell a mm. topic that I have an entire society, a world around me that fails to recognize. So it's a hard topic to sell, but like I said, I've got my whole life ahead of me and I'm going to go after it. And you certainly have the conviction and you certainly have the smarts and everything else that goes along with it. There's a wonderful word in Hebrew that would sum it up, chutzpah. If you've never heard that word, it kind of means uh, courage, character, guts, that type of thing. You have that chutzpah. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. I want to thank you so much for joining us today and having the courage to come on the show and speak openly about your abuse and also inspiring us all. People go out there and shatter silence. Perfect. That's and a great way to end it. Be exposed. God bless. God bless you too. Thank you very much. Take Bye. care now. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye now. I would like to thank Erin Moran for having the courage to tell her story this afternoon on Brent Holland. Her book, Living for Today, a memoir from incest and molestation to fearlessness and forgiveness. Next week, the tar sands, the non-sexy look at the tar sands, dirty oil and the future of a continent. Canadian award-winning author Andrew Nikifork joins us next week on Brent Holland. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. Thank you.